Welcome to the Plain Faith Podcast, Episode 10. So we're going to go evacuate them. And the guy that's uh, head of security, uh, he wrote me an email and he said, Dave, you might be shot at, shot down, you might land, you might be held at gunpoint and told to go fly somewhere. And, and he just, um, you know, just kind of laid it on the line, like uh, some stuff might happen that you're not expecting. The Plain Faith Podcast is a podcast about missionary aviation and the stories of missionary aviators who have taken seriously Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations and are using airplanes to be His witnesses at the ends of the earth. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Your host for today's show will be Jimmy Tidmore, who, in addition to hosting this podcast, is a pastor and a pilot residing with his family in what is known as the Rocket City, Huntsville, Alabama. He is very interested in promoting missionary aviation and helping prospective missionary pilots reach the mission field. And now, with these introductions out of the way, let's get started on another great episode of the Plain Faith Podcast. Well, I don't know whether I should be welcoming you back to the Plain Faith Podcast or whether you should be welcoming me. It has been way too long since I released an episode, and I know some of you probably thought I was done with the podcast altogether, but that's not it at all. I do intend to keep it going and will hopefully figure out a way to release episodes more regularly. And let me say thanks to everyone who has reached out with encouraging words in this regard. Honestly, it was a message I received just a few days ago along these lines that made me stop what I was doing and start editing this particular episode. So thanks For all the encouragement and support, I am very glad there are so many of you enjoying these interviews. I certainly enjoy putting them together. It has honestly just been a struggle for me to find the time. Now, before we dive off into today's episode, I'd like to make you aware of a need within the mission aviation community. I suspect that some of you have already heard about this and maybe have even helped out, but I've got this little platform here where I can share News like this with a group of like-minded people, and hopefully we can come together to make a difference. So here's the situation. Ryan Ferran is a pilot with Ethnos 360, serving with his family in Papua New Guinea. And not too long ago, Ryan got a scratch on his leg while doing some work in the lowlands of Papua New Guinea. And unfortunately, that scratch got very badly infected, like so bad that he had a really high fever and got to the point where he couldn't stand up. Ultimately, he had to be medically evacuated to Australia for treatment. And to make a long story short, between the emergency charter flight he had to take to Australia and the medical treatment he received while there, Ryan accumulated $25,000 worth of expenses. So I'm calling on you, the Plain Faith community, to step up here and help Ryan and his family out. They have a GoFundMe campaign set up, and I'd love for this announcement to help push him over their goal. I have personally donated, and I hope that you will as well. Now, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the GoFundMe campaign, but you can also uh, just visit GoFundMe.com and search for Ryan Ferran, and that's spelled F-A-R-R-A-N. He's got a video there explaining the situation much better than I did here, so please go check it out 
and give as God leads you to give. Okay, so let's turn our attention now to today's guest. His name is David Tanner, and as you are about to hear, he is a former missionary pilot with the organization we now know as Ethnos 360. He has some really good stories and advice, both for those who are working toward becoming missionary pilots and for those of you who are currently serving as a missionary pilot and wondering what it will be like to make the transition back home. Dave is a great guy. I really enjoy talking to him, and I am certain you will enjoy what he has to share as well. So thanks again for hanging in there between the last episode and now. Please continue to help me get the word out about the show. And if you are enjoying it, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. Well, Dave, we're so happy to have you on the show today. I've spoken with you multiple times about this opportunity, and I'm really looking forward to hearing from you on this episode, this 10th episode of the Plain Faith Podcast. So first of all, thank you for being here today. And I want you to know that I really look forward to hearing more about your story in this episode. Thank you, Jimmy. It's great to be here with you. And what an honor and privilege uh, to do this. Um, And thank you too for putting together this podcast. I, I really believe God is using this for his honor and glory. Well, thank you for saying that. I really enjoy doing it. And I have uh, personally uh, enjoyed the opportunity to speak with so many interesting folks like yourself, and I, I look forward to getting in uh, to knowing and learning more about you today. So why don't we begin by talking about where you're from and, and where you grew up and about your family and so forth. Sure. I was born in Muskegon, Michigan, uh, believe it or not, 60 years ago. I look in the mirror and I can't believe <laughs> I'm already 60, but um, 60 years ago, born in Muskegon, Michigan, Junior and senior high school was in a little town south of there called Grand Haven. All right. And, and tell me about your, did you have siblings? And, and, and tell us about your family now as well. My mom and dad uh, were married uh, relatively young. And um, my mom was saved at an early age. And I believe my dad wasn't saved until after they were married. But anyway, my dad was killed in a work-related accident uh, when I was uh, about one month before my third birthday. And um, about uh, five years later, I think loneliness set in for my mom, and and uh, she found herself at uh, the single bars, and she ended up remarrying uh, a guy uh, who wasn't saved. Um, but anyway, um, my through my 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 biological dad. Um, I have a brother. Uh, his name is Mark. Uh, he's two years younger than me and uh, proud of him. He served in the Gulf War with the 82nd Airborne. And then uh, through my mom's second marriage, my brother and I have a half-sister who lives in Florida. Are you married now and do you have children? Yes. Uh, we've been married 38 years. Uh, we have three kids, one daughter, uh, two boys, um, they're in their late 20s, early 30s. We have grandkids. What a blessing they are. Uh, our our uh, first grandson, Silas, is uh, two and a half years old. Our youngest son just had a kid, uh, Eliza, and she's about six weeks old. And my, my son married a lady who um, has uh, two other kids, um, so, so we inherited those, if you will. And then our daughter is uh, expecting another uh, another 
child, um, our second grandchild, who will be born in October. All right. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your own personal spiritual journey? When did you become a, a follower of, of Jesus? Well, I was saved at, a, at an early age. Uh, my dad, before, he, before the Lord took him home uh, to be with him, um, he really uh, left me a legacy, uh, left my brother and I a, a great legacy of following Jesus. And, and the people who knew him, both friends and family alike who have talked to me about him, um, he was really excited about the things of the Lord. And, um, and so, so they were involved in church when, when I was just a babe in arms, if you will. And when my dad was killed, um, my, my spiritual journey, um, it was kind of a hit and miss as far as going to church, get, being involved in church and whatnot. But my mom would sometimes take me to the Baptist church that uh, my mom and dad were a part of. And, and I would hear the gospel that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross for our sins, was buried and, res- and rose again. And by putting your faith, your confidence, your trust in him, you can live with him. And I can remember during sometime during uh, before my preteen years, somewhere about eight or nine, I can remember my mom had had remarried, and I can remember just being at uh, kneeling at my bed and and just asking, you know, the Lord to forgive me. I, I, I could see the need of of a savior, and um, the the thing is, so I, the faith was there. The thing is that that I didn't have, I didn't have the discipleship, I didn't have the assurance mm-hmm. that I was indeed saved, but. Um, I was saved again at that at a very early age, and it wasn't until really my college years that that it didn't really come together for me. Um, until I was uh, I was going to college, I was I was living with my my grandmother, and she had a track called the Four Spiritual Laws, mm-hmm. and I was flipping through that, and and you know it was the gospel in in a real succinct way, and it's like yeah, I believe that, I believe that. Um, you know, and so I was, I was assured of my salvation as I thumbed through it. But at, at, at the last part of it, it said, don't rely on your emotions when it comes to your salvation. It's, it's faith in what God has done. It's faith in his word that you are indeed saved. And, and that really, that really helped me in, in seeing that and in, in assuring me that I was indeed saved because I was putting too much emphasis on my emotions instead of what God had, had done for me. All right. And so how did your journey proceed from there? When did you begin to feel a call to missions? Well, the the call for missions, I was, again, one of the things my dad left we, me with was that apparently he loved airplanes, or at least liked them. And my grandmother uh, told me that he would like to go to the airport. And I can remember uh, way back when, uh, before obviously before he was killed, but I can remember him carrying me um, to an airplane at an airport. And, and what I have is, what I can remember is that he, he uh, walked up to this airplane. There was a guy in the airplane, and uh, 
and I remember them talking a little bit, but the next memory I have is that airplane flying over my head, and I can almost I can still see that airplane. So we're talking about 50, 56 years, uh, well, not 56, it would have been more like uh, 58 years ago uh, that I, I still remember that airplane flying over my head. And so I always, always, since that day, since two or three, I always wanted to be a pilot. The thing is, I didn't know what kind of pilot I wanted to be. I didn't know if I wanted to be a crop duster pilot. I didn't know if I wanted to be an airline pilot. I didn't know what to do. All I knew is that I wanted to fly. Well, it was during my college days, I was at church, and a missionary um, was, uh, was working in Peru, South America, and a slide popped up, just one slide of an airplane. He says, well, this is how I get around to uh, the different villages. And the mm-hmm. Lord used that slide of, of challenging me into missionary, avi- into missionary aviation. Oh, Wow. Well, why don't you? Why don't we go from there then to talk about your uh, flight training and and when did that take place? You, you told us about this experience when you were less than three years old, or th- that you can still remember this air- right. aircraft flying over that, which is amazing that you can remember that. So obviously, uh, an airplane had a big impact on you for you to be able to remember that. When did you begin flight training, and and how did that go? Well, I started flight training when I was in high school. Back in the 70s, the, the, the big thing in, in my high school was uh, uh, guys and gals owning their own car. Well, instead of uh, owning my own car, I drove my parents' cars. We also had a 1957 dump truck, so when those two cars were gone, I would, gra- I would get in that dump truck <laughs> and get where <laughs> I needed to be. But um, but so, so I was working at a grocery store and I was using my money, taking my money and taking flying lessons. So I, I, uh, I got my private pilot, uh, license while I was in high school before I graduated. Um, from there, uh, I went to Western Michigan university. Um, I started a, uh, bachelor of science program called, Mich- uh, excuse me, aviation technology and management. And they also had an AMP. Uh, program there as well. And so I got that uh, degree along with my A&P. And then I came, that was in Kalamazoo. We moved to Grand Rapids and I attended uh, Grand Rapids School of the Bible and Music, Grisboom, and, uh, which is now probably now best known as uh, SMAT, School of Missionary Aviation Technology. All right. And so it was during this time in, in college that you uh, saw this slide from the missionary and, and you took that from there. And how did that progress into actually a, a call, what you would say is a call to, to the mission field? Uh, what happened is, is that the Lord used that. I mean, it was probably within days, maybe a week or two that I, I talked to the pastor of that church and uh, he gave me the book jungle pilot. And um, from there, uh, I, I read Into the Glory, and, and the Lord used those books to kind of confirm, yes, this is Go With Missionary Aviation. So, Dave, then from there, uh, how did you begin to research uh, different missions organizations and who you did, and make the decision as to who you would like uh, to serve with, and what was that process like? For me, uh, I was in Bible school. Um, I had 
read the book Into the Glory and uh, was 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 leaning towards um, going with Wycliffe Jars. Um, and I was in Bible school and I met a guy uh, who was going through the training. He was already a New Tribes missionary, now known as uh, Ethnos 360. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I got talking to him about uh, uh, what New Tribes uh, did. And uh, I appreciate what Wycliffe does in translating the scriptures uh, into the local language. And he said, yeah, New Tribes not only does that, but we also, so we also do uh, not only just Bible translation, but we, we plant churches, we, establish, we help establish church leadership, and, and just, just that, that, I guess, a, a bigger uh, view or a, a bigger concept of planning a local church just excited me. And uh, so we started... Uh, talking with my wife, we started the process of of becoming uh, Ethnos 360 missionaries. And could you tell us a little bit about that process after you make contact with uh, New Tribe or Ethnos 360 now, when you make contact with them and uh, want to uh, proceed down that path, how, what is that process, what did it look like then and how does what does it look like now? Well, I'm not sure how it looks like now, but um, but back then they had a they had a questionnaire type thing that um, we filled out. There was a training program that we needed to uh, get involved with. Um, so the process itself, and I believe I I would say it's true today, was was quite simple. Just hook up. Uh, on their website now. Back then, it was I think just a phone call or a fax, and uh, and it was a really easy step by step process. Okay, very good. And then you go through this process with them, and and some point along the way, you start narrowing in, or they they help you narrow in on a part of the world uh, in which you could serve. H- how did you pick that? Where was it, and and how did you zero in on that place? Well, Nancy and I um, really d- didn't feel led to a specific country. We, we, we more felt led to be in a blessing wherever the Lord would have us. And, and so once we um, started the training in, in uh, preparing for the missionary field as a missionary pilot um, in, uh, in Arizona it was, is where their aviation branch is, uh, that's where they started talking to us about the need. And uh, they had all sorts of different ideas, different needs were popping up. Uh, they were talking about the Indonesia, then the Philippines, West Africa, then back to Indonesia. And uh, we ended up going to uh, Indonesia because that's where the greatest need was at that time. And we are so thankful that we went there. Absolutely loved our experience there. Okay, well, speaking of your your wife, Nancy, we kind of skipped over an important part of your life. Where did you meet her, and and when you met, had you already felt this call to missions, and did she know about this? How did all that play out? Yeah, Um, I was was very much in my junior and senior high school years, very much an introvert, and... uh, and really never, never dated. It was uh, 
kind of like, well, who would go out with me sort of thing. And uh, we had uh, my parents, after I graduated from high school, my parents had uh, moved down to Florida. Uh, my brother and I and sister, we moved, of course, down there with them. And I went to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach for about a year. Mm -hmm. It's a private college, very, very expensive. Mm -hmm. My brother and I uh, missed the four seasons of uh, Michigan. We missed our, our aunts, our uncles, our cousins up here in Michigan. And so we decided uh, and asked our parents, we would really like to move back to Michigan. And um, so my aunt, uh, who we would be staying with, my mom's sister, uh, was, was talking about a couple girls at church that she thought I should meet. And uh, one of them was Nancy. <laughs> and, uh, and in the meantime, my cousin, Tammy, was talking to Nancy about me. And so uh, we, uh, we, it was uh, the first night I met her. Uh, my aunt and uncle had uh, the college and career group over at their house. And uh, that's where I first met her. And um, I was kind of thinking about, you know, um, uh, this whole introvert idea, and it's like, man, you know, I, I, I did like, I do and did like the idea of marriage, and uh, so, so I said, so I said, hey, Nancy, would you like to go bowling? I, I didn't really think she was going to say yes, but mm -hmm. I, I thought I better put my, my best foot out there. She said yes, and, and uh, that little bowling trip, our, our relationship, our friendship grew, and uh, we decided to uh, get married. And um, so, so at the time, she was my fiance when we were watching this missionary uh, slide presentation. And, um, and I was reading the, the, the books, and, um, and I asked her, you know, I, and, and we were talking about what the Lord would have for us. I was talking to her about uh, going into missionary aviation. She was very supportive and... Um, and she said when she, at her first year at college, uh, it was a Christian college, and uh, a missionary had spoken. It was during a missionary conference, but she had told the Lord, Lord, if you want me on the mission field, um, I want to go. So, so we were one right at the get-go as far as uh, going to a foreign country as a missionary pilot family. Okay, great. Well, speaking of that, I'm curious if you have any, having having worked through that, I'm curious if you have any advice for someone who might be listening to this episode who is currently wrestling with a, a call to missions. Any help you can give them as they're kind of working through those things? I would say submit and obey to, to God and just watch them work in ways that you've never seen before. Uh, again, I was talking about be, how much I was an introvert, and uh, Nancy was telling me, she goes, well, you know, if you want to be a missionary pilot, you're going to have to get up there and speak. Well, <laughs> the last thing that I would want to do is get in front of people and talk, and, uh, and yet God molded me and um, made me to be went, moved me from being an introvert to being more an extrovert, and, uh, and and now I went from you know just being scared to talk to um, 
to to uh, when I do have speaking engagements or when I preach or teach, you know, I have a hard time fitting in this time frame because I can go on and on. So, so that's what I mean. God, God, just submit to Him, obey Him, and watch Him work. And those fears that might that you might have. Uh, he will get you through that, and it's just awesome to see him work in that way. Okay, so uh, God led you into aviation by just a passion and an experience that you had uh, with your dad. He uh, led you to a uh, led you to a wife. He, he led you to uh, this call to missions by the, a single slide and a, and a presentation. Uh, he led you to a New Tribes Mission as well, and then eventually to to Indonesia. Uh, why don't you talk a bit about how you then transitioned from uh, being here in the United States uh, to being uh, tr- becoming trained as a someone who's capable of serving as a pilot on the mission field to getting uh, to Indonesia uh, with your wife and and getting uh, you, your feet on the ground serving on on the front lines there. Okay, my transition from from that time uh, to to getting to Indonesia uh, first involved missionary training and uh, new tribes again. And forgive me if I use new tribes again. It's Ethos three sixty. Um, they have uh, at the time and they still do just this excellent training program where basically we went on a sabbatical for one year and um, we. Um, it was specifically uh, called missionary uh, training, and uh, we we went away. We quit our jobs, and uh, we just had a time of of being introduced to what missions is, as far as culture, learning culture, language, what what the mission does as a whole, but but also how we could practically apply. Uh, scriptural principles in our everyday life. That was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And man, if I had that kind of training again, I would take it up in a heartbeat. From there, we went to language school. That that So we were there for a, a year. Uh, thankfully, our training was done in Canada. Uh, at the time that we went through, there was, I believe, seven training centers Ours was in Canada, and after being in Canada, I thought all the Canadian missionaries need to come to the U.S., and all the U.S. Uh, candidates need to go to Canada because you're living in a in another country with a different flag. They use liters instead of gallons, a different type of currency, and it just helped us. And, and we still had we, there was no language barrier, but it helped us start thinking about a different culture that, you know, America has one way of doing it, but it's not necessarily the only way. And so that was a great experience. Well, from there, we went to Camdenton, Missouri, and uh, we went through language school, which was really a time of, of how to learn a culture, how to learn a language. That was that was awesome. And then from there, we went to Arizona, where uh, the flight, uh, the aviation arm was based at, and then st- started doing some bush-type, short-field takeoffs and landing sort of thing. From there, we went, we came back to Michigan and started raising support, and then finally made our way to the mission field. That process for us, uh, from being done to college to being actually on the mission field, took about 10 years. Yeah, that that's the number that I continue to hear over and over again, about 10 years. 
Yeah, so um, have patience and enjoy the process. <laughs> right. And, and, and I guess also recognize that God is using that process for Absolutely. purposes. Yeah. Yes, for sure. He's preparing you. Well, why don't you tell us about uh, Indonesia and where the particular place within Indonesia that you serve? What was it like? How was it different from your home? And what were some of the things that were most difficult for you and Nancy to adjust to? We, um, we had, uh, at the time, we had three uh, airplane bases. Uh, one was on the island of Borneo. Now, Borneo has actually three countries uh, on it. Uh, the largest portion belonging to Indonesia, that province is uh, called Kalimantan. And so right on the equator, right on the western border of Kalimantan, uh, we did our language study. From there, we, w- we moved to the other end uh, of the country to a, a little island called Ambon, and um, and lived there for a number of years until some violence broke out. We had to to move and uh, ended up in on another island uh, that uh, is closest to the Philippines, a city called Manado. Um, but probably the the biggest thing is uh, our, our three kids at the time were very young. Our, our youngest was uh, two months old. Um, and then two and four years old. So just adjusting, you know, we're still growing as a family. We have a baby in arms. Um, so, so going through that process anywhere in the world could be a process, if you know what I mean. Uh, but then now doing it in a third world country where you don't know the culture, you don't know the language, uh, brought some additional challenges. Probably the biggest thing for, for us was that uh, here we are, uh, big white Americans, if you will, um, and we just stuck out like a, a sore thumb. So just that feeling of, of being a minority um, just really hit home to us and, and was a challenge. But again, God got us through that. Okay, Dave, so before we move on, are there any other things that you would like to share about the things that new tribes did to help you prepare for getting uh, to Indonesia? Yeah, so once we were once we had started our language study, our, our language study they've they've gone to a re- more robust uh, program, which I think is much better. But back then it was kind of a homebrewed language study course, and it was called um, situational language learning, where we would um, kind of did a self study at home. Um, we would learn. Uh, certain phrases in Indonesia, and then the idea was to go out and 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 practice what you had learned. It might have been something as saying hello, good morning, good afternoon, or whatever, and just practicing uh, what you had. Of course, other missionaries would be in town; they would they could help as well. But they also assigned us to a national missionary. We had a a national pastor and his wife who who would meet with us once a week to help us with this whole learning process. So a little bit of um, self-study, I guess I would say a lot of self-study, but they were supportive in in helping us learn the language and the culture. All right. And and so when when you arrived there, were there other missionary pilots or or just other missionaries there at a base where you were serving? And and how how did they become a family to you of sorts? 
Yeah, there there was um, uh, Pontianic at the time was uh, the 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 base. So we had a supply buyer there. Uh, people that would come out of Interior uh, would would come there and um, and rest, do paperwork, uh, whatever, get ready for furlough, come back from furlough. That was their kind of their jumping point uh, from going to and from uh, the tribal locations. And so we did have a good network of, of, uh, of friends there. And we would go to the, the, the mission house there and, and uh, have fellowship with our missionaries, celebrate you know, some of the holidays we celebrate here, such as Thanksgiving or Christmas, uh, those those sorts of those sorts of things. Uh, one of our while I was in language uh, study, uh, one of our uh, one of our pilots um, uh, they went they, uh, they he had a family of three at the time. His wife was pregnant. They ended up going to uh, Singapore to have their their fourth child, and so I stepped in and filled in flying the airplane um, took like three, four months out of language study so I could help meet the need while they were gone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What was something about being on the mission field that you simply did not expect at all and completely took you by surprise? Maybe even a funny story about the transition or or something along those lines, cultural or, or language differences that cause confusion in a way that was humorous. Uh, of course, yeah, you're laughed at a lot as, as you, uh, as you're, uh, learning the language, um, for Indonesian for pig is Bobby and, uh, the, the Indonesian word for baby is Bayi. Well, Bobby sounds closer to baby than Bayi does. And so we, I was part of our, our language, uh, our language time was, um, uh, was was telling them about our children. I said, "Yeah, we have uh, two kids and and one Bobby, one pig." <laughs> so so that uh, that always got a good laugh. And I can remember when I was filling in uh, for our pilot, I was taking a missionary family, a husband and wife, interior. It was about a two hour flight out to the interior, and um, and. I was, uh, the, it was rainy, it was a rainy day, and uh, the clouds were kept getting lower and lower. Now, the area that I was flying was very flat, no obstructions, and I was about, uh, I, I, I set a minimum, okay, I'm not going to go any lower than 500 feet. Well, the, 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 the ceiling kept pushing me down, 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 to I hit that limit, I said, okay, I'm, we're going to go back. And so I made the radio call um, back to the tower, tell them that we were uh, coming coming back. And and one of the things, a phrase he said I couldn't get. He said, uh, "There's rain," and I said, uh, "Say again, rain." Well, I still couldn't get it, and so I kept asking him again, you know, say again. And of course, he's trying to get the point across, so he's just saying it louder with more emphasis. Rain, rain. Well, <laughs> I had enough Indonesian by then that I was at, so I asked him in in Indonesian what was going on. So I said "ada apa" or "what's up," and and so then he answered back to me in Indonesia, and he said "ada hujan." In other words, we. There's rain on the field, <laughs> and so they phonetically they phonetically pronounce 
uh, English words. So, and they roll the R. So then you get that Ra'in. <laughs> and uh, so that, you know, at the time it was kind of tense for me and him. But, but after I do, okay, this was, I, you know, I thought I was in danger or in trouble, but you know, it was just, he just wanted, wanted to inform me what was going on at the airport. <laughs> right. And, and he was trying to help you by speaking in English and you're, you're tr- exactly. trying to find some in- Indonesian <laughs> right. word. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. So, Dave, was there is there anything else we've talked about some of the cult- cultural things and the and the language things? Was there anything else that, looking back, was surprising to you about your your time in Indonesia as a missionary pilot? Yeah, uh, the the thing that was really surprising and almost a culture shock in its own right, if you will, is uh, you, you you go to at least for me, I went to a mission field and and you kind of expect certain attitudes, if you will, um, from unsaved people. Um, The thing that our first term there, the first five years that we were there, uh, the the kind of surprising, it was a big surprise to me, was some of the attitudes that missionaries uh, can have and and some of the bad attitudes uh, that that uh, they can have uh, that really surprised me. Here is uh, some missionaries that uh, went through the same awesome training that we went through, and yet, you know, they like everybody else struggle with the sin nature that Paul talks about in Romans chapter seven. Uh, mm-hmm. So that first term uh, was really. I mean, th- we had missionaries that um, were were team members, but the team had to spread. Uh, had to split up because of some differences of opinions or doing things, and uh, they they could no longer work together, and uh, and so that was a real surprise to me. Um, uh, uh, just some of the the bad uh, attitudes uh, that any of us could have, and uh, and, and I, I'm I'm reminded of uh, Philippians one six: He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And now, you know, looking back, that was such a surprise. But I think that something that has helped me now is is knowing that we're all on this journey of becoming more and more like Christ. None of us have arrived. We still, all of us struggle with our sin nature. And so, uh, so that, I think that's a big help of having that proper perspective that your fellow coworker, who may have gone even through the same training that you did, who understand scriptural principles and the promises of God, they too can have their spiritual battles and struggles, and that seeps out into their life. And and just showing grace, forgiveness, you might need to address it with them. But uh, just knowing that, you know, you haven't arrived yet either <laughs> and, and that we're all on this journey. And so just show compassion, grace, and, and, and get, get through that. On our second term, the thing that, that kind of shocked me was just some of the politics that's involved in uh, bureaucracy, if you will, that's involved in a mission organization. I don't think you're going to get out of that, no matter who you go with, 
I think it's just because these organizations are made up of sinners saved by grace, uh, like I said, who are still, you know, being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So, right. so, but at the time, that was a shock to me as well. The bureaucracy within a, in a mission. So, so those were the the kind of the big surprises, the unexpected surprises. I expected culture shock, but I didn't expect that from fellow missionaries. Yeah, you know, I, um, I when you were talking about that, I I couldn't help but think of Paul and Barnabas and how they yeah. separated ways. And you know, maybe they were both innocent in that. Maybe uh, someone, one of them, was not. And and we we don't really know the story there. But I also think of um, Paul and at the end of of Philippians, uh, speaking to the, the the two ladies and telling them, "Hey, you, you got to get along." You've got right. you've got to agree in the Lord on this and 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 get back to work. And so it's great that we have a Bible that's honest and shows yeah. us that uh, human beings, even saved human beings, are still human beings who are who who are who are on a journey. Who are uh, I can't think of the verse now. Who are still being sanctified. Right, and, that's it. And, yeah. and so we're we're not there yet. And, and as you said, uh, from the verse you referred to in Philippians, you know, we, God's going to finish the work. Yeah. He, he's going to, he's going to finish it, but he's, but he's not done yet. And, and we're still, uh, people and, you know, I, I'm a pastor and, and people probably have expectations uh, that I would be further along in my own <laughs> yeah, exactly. spiritual journey. And sometimes they're surprised when, and, and, oh, you're, you're kind of like me. Yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah right. yes, I am. Very much so. Yeah. S- still, uh, if you knew all the things. <laughs> if uh, only you knew, yeah, yes. we'd be in trouble. That, that's right. So I, I, so I appreciate, I'm, I'm thankful that we have a Bible that's honest with us. And, and I yes, also appreciate you being honest about those those sorts of things because uh, we don't want to over romanticize this this mission aviation thing and 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 pretend like you know you're going to go do this and you're going to feel like a superhero and it's going to be great and wonderful there're not going to be any problems no there're still people there're still problems there're still difficulties and so forth yeah absolutely right so th- so thank you uh for for sharing that so David Dave as we're sitting here going through this interview and I'm thinking about Indonesia and I'm thinking about so many of the previous interviews I have done with people uh, in that part of the world it's got me thinking that it might be helpful to share with our listeners why it is that so many missionaries and missionary aviators are going to that part of the world do you do you have any thoughts on that it's there's a big need that's going on uh, right there, especially in Papua and uh, Papua New Guinea. Uh, Papua is the Indonesia side. Uh, PNG Papua New Guinea is the uh, is another country side of the same island. They say they share the same island, and um, and and just such a a, a need of of different languages of people that need to hear about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Uh, on our, when we, before we left on our first furlough in 1995, a lumber company had just come across a people group that were actually living in the trees of the jungle and nobody, nobody, including the government, knew that they were there. So it, to me, it's kind of like 
the final frontier when it comes to missions, although maybe some would argue South America could be or parts of Africa. Mm -hmm. But it just seems that that part of the world, there's still lots of language groups of people that are living in these isolated areas who have never heard of, of our great creator and what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. Right, and, and, and airplanes are uh, particularly capable of getting people and the Word of God into those places in ways that other modes of transportation cannot, right? Absolutely, yeah, that's true. As a matter of fact, what's interesting about Ethnos 360, uh, we were all airplane fleet of, uh, of, of, of aircraft, and um, statistics are now that half our fleet are airplanes, the other half are helicopters and helicopters mm-hmm. just because of the remoteness of the regions that that we're we're working at. So yeah, that's that's a, a big part of it for sure. All right, Dave. So now let's get to uh, the part of the show that that lots of folks are waiting on. Why don't you tell us about the airplanes and, and the flying? Tell us about the planes that you you flew and worked with while in Indonesia, and a, a little bit about the type of flying and work that you normally did while you were there. Well, at the time that we were there, uh, again, three bases, three totally different kind of airplanes. We had a Cessna 185 in Pontianak. We had a, another base in Palu, Sulawesi. Uh, we had a Super Cub there. And then I was in Ambon, a lot of overwater flying. And so we had a an Apache, a twin-engine Apache with the Geronimo conversion. And that conversion basically put wingtips uh, on the wings so you had more range. Uh, they upped the horsepower of the engines. They, they pointed the nose. They squared off the, the vertical fin, and it made it kind of look like a baby Aztec. And, and so what type of flying did you do? And, and did you also, you, you got your AMP, is that right? Did you do that type of work while you were there? Yeah, so, so we were uh, kind of a one-man aviation show, if you will. Uh, so we were responsible for the maintenance on the airplanes as well as the bookkeeping when we did flights and, uh, and, and did the piloting as well. So we flew, we maintained the airplanes, we would uh, fly missionaries to and from their locations, supplies. We did medical flights for not only the missionaries, but the nationals as well. Uh, we also, once in a while, would be asked by the government uh, to do a flight for them. Uh, did uh, was involved in some pretty exciting stuff. Uh, saw a Bible, had a, was involved in a Bible dedication, uh, flew in some government officials, flew in missionaries who had been part of the work but were now back in the States. Uh, so so that was a tremendous thing. Uh, flew, flew some uh, some missionaries in, and the, there was a big uh, baptismal service at, a, at another location. Um, and probably one of the, the most thrilling things was that because of Indonesia is so spread out with so many islands, I was able to trans, uh, transport some national pastors, some national leaders from one island to another so that they could fellowship together. Again, from different language groups, but, uh, but, but 
all knew the the national language of Indonesia and and they were able just to come together and and become friends and and talk about their ministry and it was just a it was a conference for national pastors national leaders and it's just uh, just a absolutely great time all right so for curiosity's sake what other sorts of planes have you flown and and is there a particular plane that's your favorite Oh, Jimmy, do we really want to go down this one? Yes, of course we do. <laughs> <laughs> this list, this list is long. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, we can, we can, uh, uh, I can answer that uh, as best I can. But it is a long list. Um, boy, a J three Cub, uh, a Luscom. Uh, the uh, Taylor Craft, those airplanes built in the 40s, all the, the single-engine families, the 150, uh, 152, 172, 182, 180, 185, uh, some of the Piper stuff, uh, the Cherokees, the Warriors, the Archers, uh, the Arrows, um, did some Beechcraft, uh, A36, the Beach Bonanza, Straight Tail Bonanza, uh, flew... Uh, Cessna 414, now into the twin-engine family, a Cessna 414, an Aztec, of course, the Geronimo. And then in the turbine world, uh, flown the uh, the night, uh, the Beach 1900 uh, Citation XLs, as well as the uh, Citation Latitude, just the newest airplane, one of the newest airplanes that, that Cessna is uh is building, and then uh, a Canadair regional jet, the uh, commuter 50-seat jet um, as well. Yeah, so some of those at the end were clearly not planes you flew on the, the mission field, <laughs> right. um, and, and so we're going to get to that later in the, in the show okay. about, about those types of planes and what you're doing uh, now. So, so you missed part of the question. Which, which, what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Okay, uh, my favorite is is the the nineteen forty version. So it's going to be the J three Cub, the uh, the the Luscombe, the Taylor Craft. Those old fabric aircraft with just a hoot to fly. Uh, the Cessna one fifty. Believe it or not, uh, just a joy to fly. If you can fly a Cessna one fifty really well, you're a good <laughs> you're a good pilot, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you. Appreciate you taking that little rabbit trail with me. Uh, it was <laughs> it was enjoyable. Why don't you tell us about how flying on the mission field compares to flying back here in the states? Uh, well, it's different. Uh, the support you don't have the support, um, the technological support, if you will. I mean, if if the airplane was grounded because we were waiting on a part, that could take days. Uh, maybe a, a week to get. Uh, here, uh, you can get a part and installed and be back flying within a day um, sometimes. So, so that technical support is, is there. Uh, the infrastructure is much more, much more regulated, much more controlled. Uh, over there, you're talking over an HF radio. A lot of times I was just flying along, uh, not talking to anybody and, and, uh, and thinking, okay, I hope one of the national airlines <laughs> isn't in this airspace because there was there was no way to talk to anybody about that. So those are probably the big differences that that I've noticed. Okay, 
what would you say was the most exciting part about being a, a missionary pilot? Uh, the people. Uh, that was um, just uh, just knowing the people. Being a missionary to the missionaries uh, for me was just the joy. When I was first there and and overwhelmed in culture shock, you know, it's like, oh, I got to get back home and got to do this and that. And and after a while, after being there for a time, uh, missionaries would say, hey, would you uh, like to come to the house for a cup of coffee or, or lunch or whatever? And before I'd say, no, I got to get back where that as 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 I became acclimated with the culture, with the country, uh, with my responsibilities, I, I finally was saying, yeah, sure, let's let's go up and just had a just a great time with with them. Um, so that was that was uh, part of it. And also, just the opportunities that uh, God gave me. Uh, 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 my hangar helper um, was a Christian, not very discipled. So I had a Bible study with him. Um, next door was uh, a Wycliffe uh, flight program. They had a Muslim that was working for them, and, and he was interested in the Bible study that we were having, and, and he would, um, he would uh, come over and, and take part of that as well. What would you say was the most difficult part about being a missionary aviator? Probably the biggest thing would be uh, being alone uh, in, the, in the flight program, being responsible for, for maintaining the airplane and, and you know, not being a, a very tenured mechanic. There was things on this Geronimo that was built in 1957. There was things that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, uh, Wycliffe was was there with a with a dedicated mechanic, more experienced by far than me. And man, I would go over to him. I said, "Hey, could you come over? But I want to show you something because I hadn't seen it before." And he said, "Yeah, you're okay. You know, keep an eye on this or that." And and that was helpful. But I think that was that as far as just the missionary aviation pilot aspect of it. That was probably the the hardest, uh, the hardest aspect of, of just bouncing technical questions off uh, someone. So what would you say are some memories or stories that stand out from your years in Indonesia? And are there a few that you would like to share? Yeah. When we were in Indonesia, it was uh, January of uh, 1999. Uh, the, the, the government, the president of Indonesia stepped down and uh, there was a, a faction of, of uh, conservative Muslims, if you will, who really wanted Indonesia to become a, uh, a Muslim state. Now, Indonesia recognizes five religions. Uh, it's uh, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity and Roman Catholicism, but there was a, a factor there that really wanted um, to Indonesia when he stepped down to be a Muslim state, and so violence broke out in in the city of Ambon. And I had taken a Wycliffe family; their plane was down. They needed to leave the country uh, to do paperwork to, to renew their visa. So I took the wife and her and their kids to Darwin, Australia, long flight over lots of water. Well, while I was there, um, violence broke out between uh, Christians and Muslims. 
and um, and and it got ugly where they were literally killing one another. They um, they're they're not allowed to have weapons other than like BB guns or pellet guns. So they went to they went tribal, if you will. They went to spears, machetes, bows and arrows, and and just started killing one another. Well, the concern was was for us expats who were in country that we weren't being targeted, but the concern was that we would get caught in the middle of this fly, of this fighting. And so uh, so we made a process, so we, we started an evacuation process. I was in Darwin, uh, Wycliffe had a, a base there, if you will. Uh, I was staying there. And... Um, and and it was it was obvious again in hindsight and looking back it was obvious how God had had me there to help direct um, this to implement this contingency plan that was in place, and um, I would not want to put my family or any of those expat families through that again. But what the Lord taught me through that, how I could trust him. I mean, it was obstacle after obstacle in getting our people out. Uh, the airport was shut down, and I needed to have the airport left uh, kept open. Um, we, My family didn't have their passports. They were with our supply buyer, and it, they were on the other side of the bay. And and that missionary was, wasn't wanting to leave the country. You kind of wanted to wait it out. And there was just obstacle after obstacle coming up and just the peace that God gave during that time. I mean, if anybody should have been, in my opinion, in that, I would have much rather had my family be uh, in Darwin out of arm's way and me be in it, but it was the opposite way. I was in a, I was in a city uh, that had Burger Kings and Pizza Huts and all the comforts of the U.S., and here they are. Uh, stuck in in all this violence, and so just seeing how God worked uh, was truly amazing. And and after we got our expats out, uh, we had the we made the decision that my lang my not my language helper my my uh, hangar helper and his family we also had a, another. Uh, national missionary in in Ambon as well, and so we're gonna go evacuate them. And our and the guy that's uh, head of security of uh, of Ethno 360, uh, he wrote me an email. And he said, "Dave, you might be shot at, shot down. You might land. You might be held at gunpoint and told to go fly somewhere." And and he just. Um, you know, just kind of laid it on the line, like uh, some stuff might happen that you're not expecting. Just kind of was preparing my heart, my mind. And as I left uh, to go do the mission to, to fly those families out, I gave my wife uh, a kiss goodbye thinking, uh, just a brief thought, you know what? Um, I might not see her again, but I had the peace the peace of God that uh, surpasses, you know, all understanding that talks that that Paul talks about in Philippians four, um, just having that peace and and so that's one one of the things that before we went to the Indo uh, Indonesia, I I wondered, you know, there had been uh, missionaries who had been uh, taken captive, some killed, and. Um, I, I, I always wondered how would I handle myself in that way if, if, if somebody came in and, and took me at gunpoint 
or took me and said, you know, confess this or you shall die. I, you know, I kind of wondered where, what, what would I do? I mean, I like to think that I, I'm the man and that, oh yeah, I'd stand up for Jesus. You mm-hmm. know? Um, uh, but, but it's like, oh, I don't know how I would handle that. That experience of seeing God at work, um, is something that I don't wrestle with that question anymore because I got to see firsthand the sovereignty of God in protecting my loved ones, my friends, and getting them out of a very dangerous situation back to a safe place. Just totally, um, just an experience I will never forget and will always appreciate. Well, that was an amazing story. I appreciate you you sharing that uh, with us. It, it was is really nice to hear. So, Dave, Dave, we have a lot of folks who listen to this show who are currently preparing in, in one way or another to to be a missionary pilot. And so, I was wondering if you had any advice for someone who is currently in flight training uh, or working uh, toward the mission field in, in one way or another. Is there anything that you could share uh, with them? Yeah, sure. Uh, the first thing is uh, hang in there. Um, if you're not getting something, find someone or something that works for you. You know, God has created us, each one of us, in a very unique way. And, and sometimes... That plays out in how we learn things. And so if you're not getting something, find a way so or someone who will help you understand uh, what, you're, what you're struggling with. Now, this may mean um, you, you, it may mean you need another flight instructor. Um, don't you keep that in mind. That doesn't make if he's if if you're not getting something, it doesn't mean he's doing a poor job. He too is made in a very unique way, and maybe how he's communicating isn't addressing um, what what's going on. So so uh, be just know that there will be some challenges. There will be some times that you really might not. Um, might not get something. Uh, I was studying to be an airline pilot, <clears throat> and I was hired by the airlines. I was in training, and I was I went from this 140 mile an hour uh, Geronimo uh, that was cruise speed, and I was flying this swept wing jet with a glass cockpit, um, turbine engines, jet engines, and it had this awesome automa- uh, autopilot. And I can remember getting in there and just pushing, pushing buttons just to get the thing to work for me. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, quite honestly. And here I am, a, a, a CFI, uh, an instrument instructor, a multi-engine instructor, and I had no scan whatsoever. And, um, <clears throat> and one of my friends that I went to Bible school with, uh, an airline pilot who was flying the big iron, the big Boeings type stuff, uh, he called and asked me how it was going, and uh, my check ride was coming up. And I said, uh, Tim, I do not have a scan. And, uh, you know, I'm, and I'm struggling with this that I'm thinking, I don't even know if I'm going to pass this check ride. Now, when we did unusual attitudes and I could look outside the, the window, uh, I did fine if it was just visual references. But flying 
but but instrument flying with all the automation was was a struggle for me and um and he said and he said so I'm I'm flying this I went from flying round gauges to this glass cockpit and he said Dave <clears throat> I liked how his easy approach he said everything is laid out on that glass panel like it is what you flew in Indonesia. You got the airspeed indicator on the left. It's in a vertical form instead of in a dial. You have the artificial rising in the middle. You have the altimeter on your right. Again, it's in a vertical way. You have the vertical speed underneath that. And I tell you what, just that, it was like a light went on. And I was no doubt probably making a mountain out of a out of a molehill, but that simple advice just clicked for me. And as a matter of fact, my check ride was my best simulator uh, session because um, because of what he had told me, and 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 I got it. So so find something, talk to somebody if you're struggling with something that that will help you understand and grasp a concept that you might be struggling with. Uh, the other thing is um, enjoy where you're at right now in the process. I'm, re I'm reading A.W. Tozer's book, God's Pursuit of Man. And, and he talks about how, he's talking about the eternality, eternality, there it is, yeah. <laughs> the eternality of God, especially as we, as we view God. And um, he, he talks about how we can look back uh, by faith to see to see God in our past and how we can look forward and see him in the future, but knowing him now, enjoying him now is um, is is something that a lot of us miss, and that's so true. I was so wrapped up in getting to the mission field, so focused on getting to the mission field that I think I missed a lot of opportunities what God was trying to teach me in the then, in the now, in the now. So enjoy where you're at in the process right now. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is, is that if somebody tells you, it, it might be an instructor, it might be whomever, if they tell you you don't have it to be a missionary pilot, very much consider what they're telling you. Uh, God might might very well be using them to, to have you consider not being a missionary pilot. But but just take it under advisement. Go to prayer, see if 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 that's right. Also, there's wisdom in the counsel of many. So so reach out to other people. Don't just take one guy or ladies. Um, uh, recommendation as the final the final answer, <laughs> if you will. Um, seek advice, pray about. It. I had a there was a, a a friend of a friend, and his son wanted to be a missionary pilot, and he was in school. He was struggling in 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 soloing, and uh, and he was here in Michigan. And I have a friend that has a Cessna 150, and. Uh, and he hadn't soloed yet. Like he was like approaching 20 hours, hadn't soloed yet. And I said, hey, Dave, would you just fly with him, see what's going on? And I said, sure. And so I took him up and, and he was so wrapped up in the process of checklists and procedures that he was just missing out on just, just fly the airplane, look outside, you know, <laughs> put mm -hmm. the checklist down, cover the instruments, you know, look outside. And, um, and so when we were all done, 
you know, he was advised he should consider quitting. And I said, you could do this. And I gave him some, uh, some pointers on how to get over it. Um, so, so now he's got somebody saying, uh, maybe you should consider not doing this. And he got me saying, I think you could do this. Just, you know, follow these steps. And, and, and he decided between him and the Lord, and this is what I appreciated about it, is that he made the decision of, of having these two varying uh, ideas of whether to go or stay with, with aviation. Uh, he decided not to do it and, and became a missionary just uh, in, in ministering in, in Africa. Uh, so, so it, you know, so, so just be open to what somebody's telling you, but just don't take that as the final answer before you decide to hang up your, your, uh, your, your flying goggles. The, the other thing that I would encourage everybody that's involved in learning, uh, becoming a missionary pilot is, is learn the basics. Well, uh, they will be foundational to the rest of your uh, flying career. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that I'm responsible for in our flight department is checking out new pilots. And, and, and as I do that, some of the stuff they're missing is just private pilot stuff like centerline control, crosswind technique. So while you're in this learning phase, the basics, basic attitude instrument flying, everybody wants to do approaches first. Get the basics first. Get understand basic attitude instrument flying, and then the rest of it will come together. But that would be the biggest thing. Nail those basics now because that you will take them all the way through your flying career. Okay, well, I, I think this is a good time to to transition to talking about because you've mentioned some of the struggles that that others have had and uh, struggles that people have in your flight department today. I kind of want to jump to your current work now, but I'm going to resist that uh, for just a minute. And, <laughs> and, and, and let's talk about maybe some of the struggles that you had personally during a flight training, whether it was with a particular maneuver, uh, even financial struggles, you know, it is difficult. You were, it sounds like you were working at a grocery store to, to pay for, things, uh, anything that you could, that you could share, uh, to help other people see, uh, that everybody, even, even guys that do make it to the mission field, that they had their struggles along the way as well. Sure. I, I failed my private pilot written first, first time for the first go. Um, and yet it's like, okay, I want to be a pilot. And so it's like, all right, I'm going to get it. So back to the books. Um, the other thing is, um, of course, the, the, the financial aspect of it. Uh, flying is, it was expensive back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and much more so now. Um, but it was neat how God brought people in, and uh, whether it was my mom giving to me financially, uh, one of the instructors at the flight school gave money towards our flight training, um, so, so those were challenges, but it was neat to see how God worked through those uh, challenges as well. Uh, the other thing is that I gravitate more to the flying than the mechanical and the maintenance end of it. And so um, I was not, I, probably, I would say I'm still not all that mechanically inclined. 
And so getting my A and P was a huge challenge for me because I did I could care less about working on a car and uh, what tools are needed to do what job what what can uh, what what could uh, make the job easier and so my amp training for me was was a huge struggle okay and the, you knew you needed to do it so so you did it but it wasn't necessarily something you you felt like you enjoyed or were even gifted at Exactly right. I mean, one of the prerequisites, at least for our mission, was that if you wanted to be a missionary pilot, you needed to be an AMP. And so that's why I got my uh, AMP was because I wanted to be a missionary pilot and I had to have that. I'm thankful for it. I learned a lot from it, mm -hmm. but it was a struggle for me. Right. All right. Aside from the the, the flying and the, the, the airplane type struggles that, that you may have had, what, what were some of your other obstacles to, to getting to the mission field? Uh, again, the, the whole finance thing, uh, we were at uh, 50, 60 percent of our uh, recommendation at the time. Um, we The mission allowed us to go, so we, we did have enough money so that we weren't a burden on, on folks, the missionaries, as well as folks back home. Um, but yeah, we were, we were only 50, 60% of the, our recommended support. And so that was always, um, always kind of looming over us. Even when we came home on furlough, I tried to get meetings. I mean, I just wanted to share, kind of do what we're doing t today, you know, share the work, how God was working, not only in our hearts, but also what he was doing in Indonesia and, and some, uh, some churches, um, didn't didn't want us. I I remember calling one pastor at a church and uh, at a church that I had um, already spoken at, and uh, they were in between pastors, and and so they had this new guy come up and come in, and and I said I had shared. I'm back on furlough. Would like to give an update, and and he said, well, he said we can't support you. I said well, that's okay. I'll come anyway. He says, uh, well, we, uh, we, we won't we'll be able to take up a love offering. I said, well, that's okay. We'll come anyway. <laughs> uh, we won't be able to pay for gas. You know, I mean, it was excuse after excuse. And, and then we finally got down to a date. And uh, there was a date that wouldn't work for him. And so it, it did happen. I had another ch church, another pastor tell me that if I were to come in, it would take away from... Uh, the focus of of mission of uh, the missionaries that the church was supporting. So so that that alone was kind of a struggle in just setting up you know not only the finances but even uh, setting up uh, meetings to just share the work what was what the Lord was doing. Well, so, so once you were on the mission field, what were some of the 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 things that you continued to to struggle with while you were there? Yeah, probably one of the biggest things for me was being busy with the things of God to have time with God. Believe it or not, here I am a missionary and uh, just so, you know, just so much needed to be done. And um, and I I wasn't reading my Bible. I mean, I, you know, I was too busy to do that. Um, that was probably one of my one of my biggest struggles was just prioritizing so that I had quality time with God and, and with my, with my family as well. 
Yeah, I've heard a rumor that pastors struggle with that too. I I, I don't know anything. Oh, I, I don't know that. anything about yeah, it. You, you would know that. Yeah, no, not you. But but I have friends <laughs> who've told me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but 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 it's but it's for real. And and Satan uses that. He convinces us and is happy for us to be convinced that our work is so important that we don't have time for our own uh, personal spiritual health. And, and and what he what he's eventually doing is setting us up for a fall. It, exactly, exactly right. And it, and especially, it's the things of God you're involved in. It's good things. That's you know? right. I mean, it's 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 carrying on. You know, it's promoting the gospel, and yet we're missing the boat. You know, I was missing the boat when, as far as okay, my own spiritual well being was was kind of you know, going out the door sort of thing. Right. First and foremost, we're, we're a disciple. We're a follower of Christ. And, exactly and, right. And, and yep. all this other stuff is, is secondary to that. Yeah. So what about spiritual struggles? I mean, you've talked about that a, a little bit here. Um, any other spiritual struggles that you dealt with while you were there? That was probably um, the, the biggest one. Uh, you're in culture shock. Um, you know, the best of us, and we, we talked about this in my missionary training, you will have culture shock. And you might think that you have this training and the spiritual giant, um, but you will have culture shock and you will have thoughts come that you will, that thoughts that you may have never had before <laughs> mm-hmm. that might, that might blow you away, but have an impact in your spiritual life. So you really need to, uh, guard, guard your heart. And, um, the, the, I, I have a, uh, remember a, a good missionary friend, he's with the Lord now. Um, but how the Lord kind of helped me with this, this having time with him, uh, Marv Porch um, was his name uh, from from your neck of the woods, somewhere down south. Had a nice southern twang and uh, just a joy to be around. And um, every time I flew him, he would ask me, "What's the Lord teaching you, brother?" Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and I wasn't reading the Bible, and so I would kind of have to fake it. And uh, and and tell him, and so so then I got uh, so then I got good. Was that oh I'm flying Marv, and of course he would sit up front with me and his family in the back, and and we always he would always ask me what's the Lord teaching you. So then I started getting smarter, and it's like okay I'm flying with Marv. Have I read my Bible? No. What's the Lord teaching you? I don't know. <laughs> so so get get in the Word. Let's see what you know what God has for you. Is sort of a thing, but you know I mean that's what God used God used that guy in my life to show just how busy I was and I was in a way forsaking him. All right. Well, there it sounds like he was he was placed in your life for a reason. Uh, it makes me wonder if there's someone else along the way who served as a as a mentor to you in in, in one way or another. Well, when I was working on my uh, private pilot license, I had two uncles, both pilot, uh, private pilots themselves. They were huge uh, in, in mentoring me in becoming a, uh, a pilot. I had just turned 16, and they said, hey, what, 
how old are you? And they knew. I said, yeah, I'm 16. Okay, well, we got an instructor, and um, and here you here you go. And and I just kind of followed their lead. They were huge in those very beginning stages of of, of being a student pilot, working on my private pilot certificate. Um, now now um, uh, I, you know we we talk about mentors. Um, now it's 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 like um, discipleship, um, where iron is sharpening iron. So I, I have a handful of, mm-hmm. of guys that um, that we can talk about spiritual things, deep things. What the Lord is teaching you. I still take you know. I still spin off what Marv, what the Lord taught me through Marv, of um, of of. Okay, what's God teaching you? And just opening up Scripture and and sharing Scripture with somebody. Uh, so not really a mentor as far as becoming a pilot, but as far as spiritually growth goes, mm-hmm. uh, just using that Proverbs 27 concept of iron sharpening iron and, you know, getting into each other's life on a deeper level and, and sharing struggles and, and sharing uh, victories and what, what all the Lord is teaching us. All right, so why don't you tell us now about what you're doing now and about your transition from the mission field to these different areas of work and ministry? Sure. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a corporate pilot, um, and we have uh, four, four airplanes. There's 11 pilots. Um, I'm, uh, I'm one of the, the, the pilots, but also I'm the safety officer. I'm the training officer. Um, and, um, and we went from, um, Indonesia. We just, uh, our, our kids were growing up and, um, they were getting ready to graduate from high school and, uh, we got thinking, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to drop them off? We're going to go back. And we really didn't have a piece about leaving them here and going back to the Indo- Indonesia. Now, now, granted, some uh, missionaries do that, and that's and I that's between them and the Lord and and them as a family. And I'm excited when they can do that. But there's other of us who don't have that piece, and so. Um, so we, we decided to come back in the States at the time, our, our aviation headquarters really didn't have a need for where we thought, uh, our gifts and talents could be used. And so we ended up, uh, resigning on a good note. Um, and eventually I did some, uh, flight instructing. I did some, um, uh, air ambulance work and and then some airline works and, and then uh, 11 years ago got this job at this uh, in this corporate uh, flight department and um, and that 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 transition was uh, a difficult one uh, that was a culture shock in itself it was harder getting reacclimated to life in the U.S. than it was to getting acclimated to life in a thir- third world country hmm. so that was 
that was a surprise and that was a challenge and it was difficult. You know, you have to get a car and, and get a home and, uh, you know, what, what, you know, just the things that we kind of don't think about and take for granted because it's part of our everyday life here in the States. Uh, we had to basically just start from scratch again. Uh, again, it was just cool how God supplied, how God met that need. And uh, it was uh, just cool how he, how he worked it all out. All right. Besides the logistical and practical difficulties of, of moving from that part of the world back home and getting uh, reacclimated into to life here at, at a different pace with, um, you know, needing a car and, and, and so forth, um, what sort of emotions did you experience going through that, that transition process? Oh, boy. The biggest thing was doubt. Um, you know, you, we really, between, you know, I, I, we were praying about it. Uh, my wife and I, we prayed about it. We talked, to the, we talked to each other about it. We talked to the kids about it. And uh, we really felt at peace again about coming back. But after we made the decision, after we broke off from the mission, um, the doubt started coming. It's like, okay, was this really what God wanted me to do? And um, that was that was probably the biggest emotion. And um, I'm getting ready to to preach out of First John chapter three, and I just came across this verse. It, it talks about, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. And, and that's where I eventually had to come is, is that, you know, before the Lord, we had no ulterior motives in, in moving back. We really believe this is what God wanted us to do. Um, and so before the Lord, I had that clear conscience, but still doubt filtered in. And, and now as our, our, our kids are adults now, and from a dad's perspective, you know, spiritually, they, they don't seem to be doing all that great. Well, guess what happens? Doubt comes again. <laughs> and, and, you know, and just have to just continually, it seems like, remind myself God's in control we really, before him, we made this decision based on really believing this is what he wanted us to do. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that your experience on the mission field has made you a better pilot here in the States in your, in your corporate job? And if so, in what ways? I think so. Um, with all the automation that's out there, I mean, we had that uh, terrible airline crash. Remember, it was in San Francisco where, you know, they, they tried to do a visual approach right, and, and they struggled. end up hitting this. Yeah, they hit the seawall. Um, you know, just a lot of reliance on the, auto, all of the automation. And when that's taken away, then what? And I think that's what made made me a better pilot is that if the automation don't work, guess what we do? We turn it off and 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 look outside, use our eyeballs and 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 just fly the airplane, just using those basic stick and rudder type skills. So so on the mission field, that was very, very uh honed as well. And I think just some of the things that the Lord has taught my heart, you know, um, and has, uh, you know, in this 
sanctification process and just being a, a more mature pilot and not taking risk like I, I did when I was younger um, has made me, uh, and, and God has saved me <laughs> from from having an accident, um, has, has helped uh, immensely too. Just that spiritual journey and just being more, uh, uh, more mature uh, Christian, but also a much more mature pilot as well. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned earlier when we were talking about the types of planes that you flew, s- several different uh, models of, of airplanes that I know you didn't fly on the mission field or before the mission field. Um, what, what was your journey like? You're serving as a corporate pilot now. What was your journey like once you got back home to getting to where you are now? Uh, I think you even mentioned some airline training. Uh, tell, tell us about your journey uh, post-mission field. Yeah, so, you know, one of my uncles, um, and and this is uh, a dear uncle, I mean, when my dad was killed, he was one of the three uncles that kind of took a fatherly role, and when we came back, you know, he said, get back, you know, you need to support your family, and, you know, go get a factory job, and and as I said earlier, my passion has always been uh, aviation, and so I couldn't see myself doing that. And so I started off as a independent flight instructor working in an FBO, and and uh, just making a, a, a go at it that way. Um, and then I got a job flying an air ambulance out in New Mexico, flying a uh, 414. It paid better. It had some health benefits. Um, but again, we were away from family and friends here in Michigan, and um, it was kind of like a stepping stone. Uh, and then I got the airline job. Uh, I interviewed for that, and um, and that paid lousy. But I knew the experience that I would gain would be uh, would be very noteworthy, if you will, mm-hmm. for for the hiring process into something better. And so that took uh, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, um, uh, you know, making like we're a family of five and I'm only making like 20000 right. a year. And, yeah. and and thankfully, my wife is an accountant, a bookkeeper, and uh, she had us on a very, very strict budget. And of course, with the Lord's help, you know, we, we got through that debt-free. But anyway, that experience gave me an opportunity to to work with the flight department I'm working with now. As a matter of fact, the boss, my boss, is a Bible school friend way back in the 80s. And as a matter of fact, he was one of our supporters when we were in Indonesia. And wow. he's the one that that God used to help me get the job where we're at now. Okay, great. That's a cool story. So uh, we have lots of pilots on the mission field right now who listen to this podcast. And I, I just wonder if there's anything that you would like to say to them as they think about when it might be time for them to make a, a similar transition. Yeah, just just be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, talk it over with your spouse. Talk it over with the kids. Uh, talk to that mentor or those people that you can really that who you have confidence in, and and bounce off these these thoughts that you might have, and uh, just again bathe it in prayer, and and then it is going to take a step of faith. The the step of faith of coming back to the mission field is just as big as going to the mission mm-hmm. field. So um, so just 
So just think that process over and just let God lead you. And he will give you the peace uh, to make that decision from my experience anyway. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Now you mentioned just a little bit ago, some preaching. I'm curious about how you're involved in, in ministry now and maybe even in missions in, in some other ways. Can you share with, share with us about that? Yeah, sure. I'm. Uh, uh, we we attend a Bible church right here in in Grand Rapids, and um, we're uh, plurality of leadership, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we do have a full time guy, but I'm one of the the lay pastors, one of the lay elders. Mm-hmm. We use pastor elders synonymous. Yep. So so with that uh, comes those re- uh, leadership responsibilities. Um, so I have opportunities to teach and preach. Uh, teach a kids Sunday school there as well. Um, also, um, the Ethnos 360 Aviation. I'm uh, I'm a board member, and I'm also their safety consultant. Um, so, still involved in in missionary aviation. It, it looks different than what I expected it to look like. I thought we would come back and I would plug into the aviation department down in Arizona, but uh, God saw fit to use it another way. And um, what what's it's pretty neat to me is that I thought, man, I would love to be the safety coordinator for Ethnos three sixty aviation department. <clears throat> the thing is, I had that desire, but I had I had no idea what that entailed. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, so God again in his wisdom and in his sovereignty get, puts me in a position where I get that safety type training paid for by a corporation. Right. And now I can take that education and 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 go and help them and their safety manager help him in developing their safety program and and so again it has it's still involved but it just has a different look than what I was expecting right right what a great organization that is as I was saying to you earlier before we were recording you know I'm still stuck in the new tribes mission uh, days, but I, maybe another couple of years. I'll, I'll, but but a great organization, and yeah. uh, they're they're doing good stuff. They they are, and and uh, thank you. You know, I I joke around with a lot of people. I'm not any good, but I'm slow. <laughs> so so I too still use some of that old terminology, and I I'm still trying to train myself to say it the right way. But right. it is a learning curve. Yeah. Okay, Dave, well, I wonder, do you have any final suggestions or advice or encouragement for prospective missionary pilots? I do. And um, to me, um, the key to being a successful, safe missionary pilot are, are summed up in two verses. Uh, Galatians 5.16 is a verse of choice with a promise, and it says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So think about that, is that it, when, when, when I'm walking with the Spirit, when any of us believers are walking in the Spirit, we can't sin. It's when we make that choice, when we're tempted to sin, that we're in sin. And so I, I really like that, that promise that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The other one is Colossians 5.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, 
do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I believe if we can capitalize as pilots, especially missionary pilots, well, any pilot actually, if we capitalize on those two things, I think you're good. I really believe any of us will be successful as as pilots. You know, the FAA talks about these hazardous attitudes, you know, resignation, anti-authority, mm-hmm. impulsivity, machoism, invulnerability. They call it, they label it hazardous attitudes. Have you ever had any of those aver- attitude, hazardous attitudes? I have. Mm-hmm. Well, those, if, if any of us have those hazardous attitudes, let's think in, in the biblical terms, if you will. If, if we're having that hazardous ad- attitude, to me, that's a, a flag to us that says, I'm walking in the flesh. I'm not walking in the spirit because this is going to hurt me and probably others as well. So if, if we can capitalize on these verses, I really believe we will be professional, safe pilots. Um, uh, you know, airplanes are, are great tools. They're fun tooling around in um, and, and, and using them to bring the good news uh, to the lost. You know, I, I joke a lot about, you know, I get paid to do my hobby or I was I was being supported, you know, mm-hmm. to do my hobby. And airplanes are a great, great tool. But missionary aviation is is more than that. It's 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 about God and his work. It's about people uh, not not planes. Um, be a blessing now to those that uh, are around you. Uh, being a missionary to the missionaries. Uh, be an encouragement uh, to all you come in contact with, especially overseas, the nationals as well as the expats. Um, I think some people try to, to shy away from developing relationships with the nationals, but I think it's imperative that we build relationships with them, learn their culture, learn their language so you can build relationships with them. I, I can remember uh, the news had gone out. We were probably not coming back to Indonesia. And uh, one of our, one of our uh, church leaders in a, in a tribe was in the town we were at uh, helping the missionary with Bible translation. And he said in Indonesian, he said, Dave, when I heard that you're not coming back, it was as if I fell out of a tree. Um, so think about falling out of the tree. What does it do? Well, it hurts. It takes the breath away. And I tell you what, Jimmy, I teared up so much, I couldn't even reply to him. All I did was just give him a great big bear hug to show him how much mm-hmm. I loved and appreciated him. And, you know, those are the kind of relationships you want to build. You want to in my opinion, you want to build those relationships with, um, with, with the nationals. Um, we've heard this from, from other interviews you've had, but, um, you know, don't enforce your American ideas. Um, be the guest and learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, your kids are going to grow up. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they're going to leave the house, and you're going to be empty nesters. And um, your parents... Uh, will get old. That's just the facts of life. Um, they may need your help, both the kids, your parents, whoever. They might need your help. So so now, think through now how that's going to affect your ministry. Uh, don't worry about it, 
but just think through what would that look like? Talk it over with your spouse. What would it look like to to um, to come home back to the to the U.S. and uh, and then last I have is uh, don't sweat the little stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know we have an awesome God. And um, he takes care of the big stuff as well as the little stuff. And, and what we need to do, again, in my opinion, we just need to rest, rest in him, trust him, and let him do, do the work. Good words, Dave. Thank you. Is there a book that you'd like to, to recommend to our listeners? It can be something about missionary aviation or something that helped you grow in your Christian walk or even something that helped you learn to fly. Uh, or, or you can name more than one even. Probably one of my favorite. Uh, so let's talk about technical books. One of my favorite that I would recommend to any and everybody, potential pilot and even current pilot, especially if you're in single pilot operations, Cockpit Resource Management, The Private Pilot's Guide by Thomas Turner. Mm-hmm. Excellent book for single pilot operations. I really like Kirshner's book on advanced pilots, uh, flight manual. Right. Uh, for missions, of course, uh, Jungle Pilot, man, that's what, as yep. well as Into the Glory, yep. uh, those got me excited. God at the Controls by Gene Dye Johnson, uh, just mm. a beautiful story of people being kidnapped and hijacked and just seeing the sovereignty of God of how they brought them through that difficult uh, situation. Uh, while I was on the mission field, um, yeah, yeah, read. I, I was reading uh, Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I had never read that series before, and it was just, it was fun. It was an encouragement while there. I, mm-hmm. I read while I was there through Gates of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliot. And again, it was just good now that you're in a third world country to still read stories of other missionaries who had, who have gone before, and, and you know, you can really identify more with being in, in a third world country with a different language and a different culture. It, it, it seems to just add more flavor to, to the, uh, to the, to the reading. Um, currently I'm reading, um, Going Pro by Tony Kern, uh, Tony Kern, and then also God's Pursuit of Man by, uh, A.W. Towser's just great books. Um, anyway, those are some things that kind of top, top my head. Yeah, those are, those are all good ones. Some some I need to pick up myself. So, Dave, how can our audience be praying for you? Uh, just I, again, just uh, that uh, having that humble spirit, um, you know, obeying God. Um, you know, I, I've often asked myself, you know, are you ready? Are you ready? If God wants you to move from this job. And go back to the mission field. Are you are you willing? Are you able mm-hmm. uh, to do that? So just so just being again continually being submissive to 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 God. Of course, of uh, our relationship uh, with uh, with the Lord, it's still easy to get too busy um, with with life and and um, and miss out on on what God is doing in your life and. And so that would be a, a prayer request too. Is that again just being sensitive uh, to to the Lord and, and the need to stay in His Word and to develop continually develop my walk with Him. Uh, our kids, it's huge. Um, you know, again, like I said earlier, our spiritual uh, the spiritual decisions that they're making. 
um, you know, from dad's perspective, they could be better. <laughs> and so, you know, we're just praying that God will do a work in their hearts that uh, they would have a desire uh, to follow him and, and do what uh, he would have them uh, to do. And, and just like anybody else, boy, I'm, I'm flying some pretty cool airplanes, but uh, have all these bells and whistles, but uh, still just the safety, the safety in, in flying and just being a blessing, um, you know, just the desire to be a light in this dark world, whether it's at, on my jobs at the job or at the grocery store is just uh, being encouragement to whoever I'm, I'm uh, rubbing shoulders with. So those are, those would, boy, we would appreciate prayer for, for those for sure. Yeah, well, we'll definitely be doing that. And I, I know our listeners will as, as well. So uh, if, if somebody wanted to connect with you in, in, in some way or another, how could they go about doing that? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, uh, David Tanner. Um, but probably the best way is to contact me is as I get friend requests from people I don't know. Yeah. And so I, I don't I don't accept it because I don't know you. So probably the best way uh, to contact me is through my email address. It's David A. Tanner at sbcglobal.net. Just uh, let me know you've you heard this podcast and you would like uh, some information. I do not have all the answers, but I can give you some things to think about, to pray about. Um, I've had another uh, friend uh, who has a friend. Uh, he was thinking about missionary aviation, and uh, well, I met with him and gave him some ideas. and And I really like uh, I really like actually doing uh, that sort of thing, as uh, you know, interacting with potential missionary pilots. Uh, to me, is a is a, is a lot of fun and and a true blessing uh, to me as well. Yeah, well, one of the purposes of this show is to is to connect people who are thinking about that and, and with folks who have done it and can give advice and some guidance. So, yeah, so I appreciate great. your appreciate your willingness there. Yeah, you bet. Well, all right, Dave, I really appreciate you and uh, you taking the time uh, today to, to, to do this. And um, I've learned a lot. I know that the folks who listen to this episode will as well. It's been uh, fun and encouraging, uh, enlightening in lots of ways as well. So thank you so much for your willingness to do this and God bless. Well, thank you, Jimmy. It was uh, my pleasure. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I appreciate you and and what you're doing, uh, not only as a pastor, but also voluntarily putting this podcast uh, together and getting the message out. Uh, again, I just appreciate all that you're doing there. And, and so thank you. And, and maybe someday one of the guests should interview you. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So it, that would be a short episode. <laughs> Dave, thanks so much, and I hope that we can stay in touch, and I, and I, I plan on doing that, yeah. I, I hope so. You find yourself up here, Jimmy. Uh, we got a bedroom downstairs. You can hang out with us, uh, come and go. Um, you know, if you need to get out of that heat sometime and yeah. enjoy a Michigan winter day, yeah, <laughs> come on, come, come on up here and, and man, we'll have a great time of fellowship. But I, I do, I hope I'd really do want to, would like to stay in touch with you. And, and again, just let me know how I can help out as well. All right, we'll do that. 
Well, that's it for this episode. We thank you once again for listening. You can learn more about the podcast and subscribe to it by visiting plainfaith.com. That's P-L-A-N-E faith.com. You will also find links there to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you are interested in becoming a patron of the show, you can do that as well by visiting patreon.com forward slash plain faith. And of course, Jimmy would love to hear from you personally. So feel free to email him at jimmy at plainfaith.com or by using the contact form on our website. Until next time, remember that God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The intro and outro music for the Plain Faith podcast is a song called Chipper by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work at incompetech.com.